Good morning. Let me confess some things this morning. No, it's okay. We're in church. I can just get some things off my chest. And for day one, we're going to start this thing off right this year. So I was reminded by a good friend of mine that uh, I had uh, two years ago, right around uh, New Year's Day, had preached a sermon. Um, invited by Pastor Bobby to preach, and, uh, and I preached on uh, transitions and going through dark places. And it was out of Elijah, and he reminded me, and I didn't even realize it till just a couple weeks ago, but uh, two months later, COVID hit. So last year, Pastor Bobby did not invite me to share. <laughs> so I've got to redeem myself this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to uh, the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, a very familiar set of scripture. Second Chronicles uh, uh, chapter 7. And here's what I want to do just to set the tone for us going into this 21 days of prayer, kicking off next week, going into this year. I just want to simply ask a question. What does it mean to be ready for an awakening? What does that mean? What does that look like to be ready for an awakening? I use the word awakening, not revival. Revival and awakening uh, oftentimes are used interchangeably. Revival oftentimes gives a, a, a focus of restoration, of, of restoring the church back to its place. Or awakening is a broader term. It speaks to a broader movement that's not just about the church, but it's also about the community and the nations, the nation, the nations. It speaks of trans, uh, transforming not the culture of a church, but transforming the culture of our communities. It's seen in radical moments of uh, prisons being emptied out and, and bars shutting down because a culture, a community is shifting and changing. So what's it look like to get ready for revival? There was a, a gentleman, uh, this goes back to 1857, there was a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Lampier, and Jeremy was in his 40s, and he began to get a burden to see God use him, and he began to get a burden for the lost. And he wasn't sure what to exactly do with it, how God would use him, if he could be used by God. And the church that he was attending, it was up in New York, hired him to become what, what essentially was an inner city missionary. He became a missionary to that city. And so the way he started was just walking down the streets, handing out tracts, talking to people about the Lord. And just kind of keep in mind, this is a time where there's a tremendous amount of immigrants coming into the city. There, this is a business mecca. So he's meeting with businessmen. He's meeting with immigrants, all types of people. He's handing out flyers. He's talking about the Lord. And very little fruit is coming from it. So he begins to get a, a burden to pray. And so he, he essentially organizes a noontime prayer meeting three weeks out at a church uh, on Fulton Street. And he begins 
to hand out flyers, same thing. He begins to, to, to um, hand out tracts. He begins to invite anybody and everybody that he can to this meeting. And the meeting happens. It's on a Wednesday, and at noontime happens, and nobody's there. So he begins to pray. He just gets on his knees and cries out to God for 30 minutes, and 30 minutes into it, five people show up at this prayer meeting. And the next week, they have another one. And that week, 20 people show up. And the next week, they have another one. And this week, historians say like 30 or 40 people show up to this, and they make a decision. This not, doesn't need to be weekly. It needs to be uh, daily. So they begin to pray at noontime every day. And that meeting in that church fills up quickly. And so pastors begin to open up their churches all over the city. And over six months, they said there's five thousand prayer meetings happening across the city at noontime not on a sunday morning not even at noontime across the city every day people praying and it didn't just stop there it began to swept into bigger cities across the united states into uh to to dc and uh detroit and 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 into philadelphia and all these cities and literally over the course of the next two years it spread into fifteen thousand cities across the United States and then across the globe of people praying, crying out to God every day at noontime praying. Yes. It is conservatively estimated that a thousand, excuse me, a million people came to the Lord through it. Some say as many as two million. The church at that time in the United States had four million people attending Sunday morning service. The church grew by some would say two million people over that two years. Some call it the third great awakening. Some historians call it that. You know, we're familiar with the two great awakenings that happened in the 1700s. Some would call this the, the fourth great awakening. And there's story after story of, 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 of just supernatural things happening. There was a, uh, Finney told a story that he was, Charles Finney said he was in a prayer meeting in, in Boston and, and, and a gentleman stood, stood up and he began to testify that he had just came from Omaha, Nebraska. Remember, this is the 1800s and he traveled 2,000 miles across the United States. And he said, everywhere I went, there was a prayer meeting. For 2,000 miles, it was a continuous prayer meeting. There was uh, four sailors on the, the battleship the North Carolina that was docked in, in New York, and they began to pray. Just night after night, they just began to cry out to God. And soon revival broke out on that battleship. And historians say that, the, that the, the ship was filled with the Holy Spirit is what, how it's described. And night after night, there's sailors coming down, crying out to God and getting right with the Lord. And as they were trans, uh, transferred off that ship, revival began to break out in different places as they went out. Story after story after story. And what I love about it is simply that it wasn't a known evangelist, pastor, preacher. It was a businessman that got a heart to be used by God, to see God move, and to pray and to invite other people to pray. It's not unlike Bob and Ann Black that meet every Tuesday night with a group of people and just invite anybody that wants to come in our church and anywhere else that wants to come and just pray. And just faithfully gathering to pray. And as they prayed, God began to move supernaturally. You know, history tells us that, that an awakening 
nationally and internationally can't be manufactured. It is a sovereign move of God where he supernaturally achieves something in, in, a, in a short span of time that seemingly is impossible. And yet, I'm convinced that God desires to work within the hearts and prayers of his people. How do we ready ourselves for an awakening? It's a familiar set of scripture that we read often, we pray out, especially during certain times, prayer meetings. It's out of 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it simply says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. There's a whole lot to unpack there, but let me just back up for a minute and let's give the context for this. We prayed out, but we often don't look at the context for the scripture itself. So let me just take a moment and, and talk to you about the context of what's going on. I won't go through and read all of it this morning, but, but what's happening here is it's in the time of, um, of the construction of the temple and Solomon, King Solomon. And so King Solomon, the son of David, had been given the responsibility that 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 uh, David had promised God to build the temple, and he'd completed the temple, and as he'd completed it, they had called for a dedication of this amazing, beautiful, wondrous construction that would even today would be wondrous, be amazing. And so they called the worship team, the people, all the people of Israel is gathered together, they called the worship team in their Sunday best, and they grabbed the, the trumpets and the instruments and the and, and, and they're, they lead out in worship, and as they're worshiping me out, they're simply, Scripture just says, they're, they're, they're crying out one thing, for He is good, and His love endures forever. And in this moment, when this, when this, uh, the, where this temple is being built, this is just a, a, a rendering of what it could have looked like when they gathered, and all of Israel's gathering together, they're just crying out, for He is good. They had been believing for this temple to be built for years and years and years. Now generation had passed, Solomon picked it up, and it was completed. And they're just saying, for he is good, and his love endures forever. It endures past all our failures. It endures past every generation. It just kind of keeps going and going and going. It's not about us. It's not about how well we do or don't do. His love just continues to endure. It's not about how dark things become in a culture how bad things look around us. His love just continues to endure, and they're just singing this over and over and over, and a dark cloud begins to gather around this place, a heavy cloud. It is the very glory of God resting down on that temple and on that worship service. And as it does, literally, worship stops because it cannot continue in the presence of God. And the priest can't do anything. And then Solomon steps up and he says a prayer of thanksgiving and praise and a blessing over the people. And then he steps up to this platform that you can see there. It's a bronze platform. It's, it's about seven feet wide. And he kneels before all of Israel. And he prays a, just an incredibly bold prayer. 
And, and it goes something like this, and I won't read through it, but he basically is saying some things like this. If a man sins, but yet then he goes and confesses that sin, will you hear from heaven and judge right and wrong? If, if, if we are defeated by war because we've sinned and turned our backs against you, and we cry out and turn back to you, won't you hear from heaven and come and heal our land? If, if the heavens dry up and our crops die and there is no rain, and we cry out to you in that time, would you hear from heaven? And again, you just hear that echo throughout the prayer. Hear from heaven. Listen to our prayers. Hear from heaven. Hear from heaven. Hear from heaven. If famine hits, if disease covers our land because of our own sin, and we turn and cry out to you, would you hear? If a pandemic hits, if a nation is divided, if our culture goes dark and darker and darker, if our sons and daughters are turning away from you, would you hear from heaven? Would you hear from heaven and heal our land? And that's his prayer. And as he finishes prayer, he literally finishes this way. His last words, let your ears be open and your ears attentive to the prayers in this place. And as he prays there, a fire comes down from heaven. A pillar of fire. Heavens open up, fire comes down and consumes uh, the altar and, and the burnt offerings that are there. And literally they're at a place where they are at a standstill. They cannot continue again because the presence of God is so strong and so heavy. It's tangible in that place. And so then there's an extravagant sacrifice that, that uh, Solomon makes. He takes 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep, and he sacrifices them. Had to take some time, right? <laughs> and then for seven days, they just have a celebration of worship and, and prayer and thanksgiving. And, and, and then it ends. And Scripture says that after it's all completed and done, in the night, God speaks to Solomon and says, I've heard your prayers. And I just love this. It, it's, like, it, it's like God telling Elijah, I'm not in the earthquake, I'm not in the fire, I'm not. You know, sometimes we want to hear God in the middle of our service. When, 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 like this morning, worship was wonderful this morning. There's times of, of great celebration and times uh, where you just want to get on your knees and, and worship God. And you just want to hear from God. But sometimes it's not just in, in those moments. It's not in times of moments when everything's going great. It's just in the quiet moments. It's when you're drifting off to sleep. Or you're just meditating, just thinking about your day. Don't even say he's praying. He just, it's just at night. Maybe he was even asleep. And he just hears God said, I hear your prayers. I mean, that, if you're like me, or maybe I'll speak for myself, there's times when I pray and I just think, is God even hearing my prayers? 
Not is God listening, but are my prayers even going anywhere? Are they hitting the mark? Is, am I praying the right things? They're just, are they even, you just feel like you don't see the fruit right away? You just think, and then God just speaks and said, I hear your prayers. And that's the context. As he says this, he said, I hear your prayers. And he said, if my people are called by my name. He simply is almost speaking back what Solomon prayed. If my people are called by your name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So let me take just the next couple minutes here and I want to talk about really those four keys to getting ready for an awakening this morning. I'm tempted to call them cost. What's the cost to get ready for? Because there's a cost behind it. You know what I'm saying? We all want it. If, we, if I said, how many want God to move supernaturally in your home and, and uh, just restore relationships and, and bring healing and, and move across our city and, and empty out prisons and close down bars and just do something supernatural and just fill up our church with people that are hungry to get here an hour early and pray. We'd all stand up and say, we're in. But there's a cost behind it. There's something required of it. Someone said that if you want to see something that you've never seen before, you've got to be willing to do something you've never done before. There's a cost behind it. So let me talk about those keys or that cost. The first one is simply this, walk in humility. Walk in humility. I think one of the greatest examples of that was just in that story to see Solomon, the king of Israel humbling himself before God and before the people. Wouldn't you love to see a moment where the President of the United States, in this case, President Biden, in the State of the Union address, would get on his knees with everybody watching and just cry out to God on behalf of the people and behalf of the land, the Prime Minister of England or any world leader for that matter. Miles Murillo calls it the attitude that gains entrance, humility. James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. True humility is a place of independence, sorry, a place of dependence before the Lord. You know, in our culture, we celebrate independence we celebrate as a nation. We have a whole day about it. We celebrate when people have independent ideas and independent thinking and they're going after something and they're doing something. We celebrate that. That doesn't work as it comes to God. Humility is about giving up our independence and recognizing our utter dependence upon the Lord, our need for Him. It's recognizing that without God, we are nothing. David cried out, the book of Psalms, who is man that you're mindful of him? Who's the son of man that you care for him? Who, who are we really that somehow the, the, the creator of the universe would somehow be caring about us? On one side, we know that we're a child of God. We recognize the position that we have in Christ. The others, we recognize that without God, we're nothing. And humility is about recognizing that without God, we are nothing. 
It is the entry point into the presence of God. It's the, it's the point of beginning. It's a place we release all of our pride, all of our independence, all those places where we just say we're going to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and keep going. We release all of that. Yes, yes, yes. Smith Wigglesworth, I know some of you may know that name. He was a revivalist. Um, that His ministry, uh, an evangelist, his ministry was also marked by the supernatural. He was actually born the same year of that revival that broke out, the Third Great Awakening. And he said this, he said, I often thought, and I'll even read the quote here, he said, I used to think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were on a high shelf. The more I grew, the more I could reach. Now I know they're on a low shelf. The more humble I get, the more I can reach. The entry point into seeing God move in our midst is a place of dependence and humility before the Lord. I love uh, this quote by Jim Cimbala that I put up here. Uh, he is the pastor of Brooklyn Tab Church, and he wrote a book years ago. It's a great read um, on fresh wind and fresh fire. It talks about prayer being the catalyst behind the, the movement in their church. And he said, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperate they are in need of him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. Sounds a lot like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. When he echoed the words of God, he said, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I am glad. Paul says, I'm glad. I'd rather boast in my infirmities so the power of Christ may come and rest on me. It's a place of utter humility that we start and enter before the Lord. So how do we walk humbly? How do we, how do we choose to be humble? Let me just give some practical stuff real quickly. During these next 21 days of prayer and fasting, you know what, what, what will humble you, will humble me is fasting. When I fast, I recognize how dependent I am, how weak I really am. I recognize how weak my will is. I recognize how weak my body is. I recognize how weak my mind is. Fasting somehow shows me how dependent I am on God. If you'll take some time and fast during these next 21 days, it's a step toward breaking that pride in us. It's not about moving God. It's about moving us into a place where we're able to hear from God more clearly. Over these next 21 days, position yourselves in some places of humility. In worship, it may just be on your knees. It may be prostrate before the Lord could be on Sunday morning, could be just in your personal time. When you're reading the Bible the next 20 days, 20 days, I'm going to encourage you to get on your knees and read the Bible. I wonder how long it's been since we've just practiced getting on our knees, not in worship, not in prayer, but just to read our just to read the just a place of honoring God and His Word in our lives. Maybe practically just serving others without them knowing it. Serving a neighbor without them even knowing it. Humility is an entry point into the presence of God. It's a place of getting us ready for an awakening. The second is bold prayers. I know Pastor Bobby's going to talk a lot about praying and fasting over the next uh, three Sundays. I'm not going to take time with it this morning other than I'm just going to encourage us to pray. 
Bible says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne room of grace. Not sheepishly, not tentatively, but boldly before the throne room of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Right? We need prayers that are direct. We need prayers that are specific. You have not because you ask not. We need prayers that are full of faith. Whatever you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Mark eleven twenty four. 24. We need prayers that show how much we need God to move in our lives. We don't need pretty prayers. We need raw prayers. We need prayers of desperation. We need prayers with snot rolling out your nose and slobber. We need some, just some ugly prayers, if you know what I mean. Not scripted, not something we've heard somebody else that sounded good. We're not, we just need something that's heartfelt, crying out to God. We need prayers that are not about us, but about Him. That reflect not our own will, but His will. If you say, I don't even know where to start with that, just start praying out the, the Word of God. Brad Abley does a wonderful job of encouraging us often and just praying out his word. If you don't know what's his will, then just pray his word. We need to pray prayers that are bigger than us. One of my favorite scriptures is Ephesians 3.20. says that God promises to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or even imagine. Let's challenge that a little bit. Maybe we want to pray prayers. It, what that tells me, at least in part, is that God desires to do more than we can think or more than we can pray or more than we can imagine. That God wants to do something beyond us. So maybe he's calling us to pray prayers that are beyond us. That without him, it really is not going to take place. First Thessalonians says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is Christ's will for you we need to pray. I mean, really pray. And pray. And pray. And pray. And then we can stop and start praying some more. Third, I would say this. We need to hunger after God. This was prayed out in our prayer this morning. I think we could have just invited... We can invite this group just back there to the prayer meeting. For If you guys want to come to prayer and want to hear what's going to be preached before it's preached, you're welcome to show out about 30 minutes before the service. And as folks had gathered, I, I, got, I walked in and just was basking what was being prayed out. And this had been, this had been prayed out. And essentially the, the word of the Lord was that our hunger will, begin to, will set the ceiling for where we go in the Lord this year. That was that. You know, revival is not about a formula. It's about falling in love with the Lord all again, all over again. Revival, let me say again, awakening is about falling in love with Jesus all over again. It's about hearing his knock at the door. You know, the revelation says that he's at the door knocking. That's geared toward the church. It's geared toward you and I. It's about hearing the knock of God at the door, willing to go 
stop our activities, stop our agendas, stop our plan, go over and open up the door, invite his presence in for fellowship and communion, time with him. It's about falling in love with him all over again. I, I was captivated this week with the Psalms 63. David's heart here as he prays it out and he said, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Do you feel like you're in that land spiritually today? So I'll look for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Yes, yes, if you said, you know, I'm not thirsty, if I just confess I'm not thirsty, I'm not hungry, I'm, I feel far from that, maybe this week you just need to take some time and just meditate over this scripture. Just say, Lord, give me a thirst, a longing for you. Lord, give me a desire that the first thing in the morning when I wake up, I just want to get on my knees for a few moments and just fellowship with you. I just want to put on a little bit of worship music and just hang out with you. I just want to get in your word for a couple minutes, first thing I get up. I just, Lord, birth that in me afresh and anew. You know, there's a clear difference between seeking the hand of God and the face of God. And this scripture says, Turn from their wicked ways. Seek, seek my face. You know, the hand of God represents the acts of God, right? The power of God. It's answered prayer. It's asking for his blessing. It's asking him to come in our midst and do something. And we need to pray those prayers. I'm not diminishing it at all. But also we need to seek his face, which is just to seek his presence or his person. To seek who he is. To want to know, I just want to get to know you, Lord. Not because I have an agenda. Not because I'm coming in to ask a bunch of stuff. I just want to hang out in your presence. I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to get to know you a little more, a little deeper. The psalmist says, my heart says, seek his face. Your face will I seek. Paul said, I just want to know Christ. After he gives his resume of all the stuff he's accomplished and all he is and all that stuff, right? He gives us a long resume, a, a pretty healthy resume. And then he says this, I count all that as just rubbish, just garbage, just nothing for this one purpose, that I want to know Christ. And then he describes it in a very meaningful, very deep way. He said, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him even in death. I want to know God in such an intimate way. I want to know his face. I want to seek his face. I want to draw close to him in intimacy. And David says this, which is such a stark representation of, of what we're talking about here. He says this in Psalms 103.70. He said, He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of God. You know, I, I, I want to know his acts. I want to see God move in a powerful way in my own life, in our family, in this church, in our community. But I also want to know his ways. I just want to know him. So part of this is just growing in a hunger to know God again. Humility, walking in humility, praying bold prayers. Lord, create in us a fresh hunger after you. And then the last one would be in 
turning from our sin. The word turn simply means to turn back, to withdraw, to lead away. It is the Hebrew word that would be equivalent to a Greek word that we call repentance. Maybe the best way to describe it is to abandon. It's when God's people, when He says, turn from your wicked ways, we just are willing to abandon our sinful habits, our complacency, those things that we've allowed to build up that just become normal in our lives but are not honoring to God. The big stuff, but also the little stuff. You know, those little foxes, those little attitudes that crept in, the, the, those little things that we're, we just have allowed to become part of who we are, part of our speech, part of our thoughts. We just need to be able to, to, to abandon that. Which means we just need to invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to say like David, Lord, search my heart. Know my wicked ways. Right? Lead me in the way of everlasting. We need to be able to invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit afresh in our lives. That was my prayer this morning in worship. Lord, just we invite your conviction. We don't run from it. We don't hide from it. We welcome it. Because what's behind it is that loving kindness that just keeps coming and coming and becoming. The Bible says that it is loving kindness that calls us to repentance. It's not His wrath. It's His loving kindness. Now, there is a wrath, but, I, but, but we're called to repentance because we have a Heavenly Father that just wants to draw us near to Himself and wants to draw near to us. So if there is no turning, then there's really no hearing from God. You know, if I didn't have a mic on and I was preaching this way, that you would not be able to hear a whole lot of what I said, right? If I'm turned away from you, then you can't hear a lot. Minus the mic, obviously, gives it away a bit. We've got to be willing to start turning and shifting toward God. If we're going to hear Him like He wants us to hear Him, if, if, we, want to, if we want Him to hear us like we want Him to hear us, then we've got to be willing to turn and release all of that stuff that we're just invite his conviction over again. So the word of the Lord is this if my people will humble themselves and pray. If my people, the called ones of God, the ones that Peter said has been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If my people, if you and I, will humble ourselves and pray, if we'll just set a course of seeking his face and we're willing to turn from all the stuff that's just not honoring and pleasing of God in our lives, then he'll hear our prayers. He'll extend forgiveness and He'll reach across and heal our land. How many say that's, that's what I want to be a part of? Amen. I want to be a part of... It's, I tell you what's always been my prayer. It's just, I've just wanted to be in the center of what God's doing. 
I don't have to be leading it. I just want to be in the center of it. I just want to be a part of what God's doing. And what if we're at a tipping point? I mean, really, what if we're at that point? You know, there's prayers that are happening all over our nation. I don't know a, uh, I don't know a tenth of them, but I know there's prayers happening. I know there's prayers that have happened for 24-7 up in, up in Kansas City at IHOP. For, 20, uh, for, for seven days a week, 24 hours a day, people have been praying and worshiping on a regular basis. People that are missionaries, literally raising money just to go and pray and wait on God for this nation and for the nations. I know the, the Sean Foyts of the world and, that are doing prayer and worship gatherings in different cities across the United States. I know David's tent where people are gathering in different spots, including this church for periods of time, three or four days of just worshiping and praying and waiting on God. I know what's happening on college campuses. I know uh, where our kids go to college, that there are 20-some scheduled prayer meetings every week for an hour and a half where young people are leading out in worship and prayer. My son's a part of one and it goes on every week. And that's the formal stuff. That's not the informal stuff that's happening just in college campuses and, and in the prayer gardens and different spots that's going on. I, I know prayer is happening. I know prayer has been happening in our church every Tuesday night for the past, what? Two and a half years. Faithfully gathering to pray. Sometimes it's 10 people, sometimes it's 20, 30, even more. Just gathering to pray. What if we're at a tipping point where things seem darker and darker and darker? And it's not about who's in, in, in Washington. It's about his people that say, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. Would you stand up with me? I'm going to invite our prayer teams up to the front. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to just uh, ask Pastor Michael to, in a moment, um, come up and close us, and you're welcome to come up and receive prayer. If you need prayer, don't leave this place without receiving prayer. Somebody come in agreement with you. But I'm also going to open up the altars. Just as I close, I'm going to open the altars. If you're feeling any place that where you feel God's touching your heart, convicting an area, touching an area, and you just want to come and do some business with God before you leave this place, I just want to just make this a place of worship and solemn place of prayer. And you're welcome to come as you feel led or in your own seat or whatever you want to. I just want us to be sensitive to respond to God when he's stirring something in our hearts. And then I'm going to invite you this week to begin to allow God to prepare you for the next 21 days. There's going to be resources that we're going to provide on the website. Those are going to be a wealth of resources and training and things to pray out. There's all types of stuff that's going to be there for you. But, but just between now and now, I'm going to ask the Lord to begin to prepare our hearts. And then let this 21 days be a catalyst for something bigger that he's doing. Mike, would you come?
you'll just raise your hands. Lord, we, we pray for the boldness to walk humbly, for the boldness to pray bigger than ourselves, that we would hunger for you, not just your hand, but your face, your presence, intimacy with you. And for the conviction to walk away from what we know we should. Father, be with us this week. Help us to experience you in a new way, Lord, that, it would be, that you would be highlighted in our day-to-day. that you would prepare us for the awakening that you have planned and that we would be in the middle, not watching from the outside, but in the middle, experiencing you. Church, you were prayed for and blessed as you come in in the new year. You are blessed as you leave. May the Lord hold you and keep you. May his face smile upon you. Have a great and blessed week. If you would like prayer or just time at the altar, please come forward. Those who are leaving, please do so quietly to leave this space a place of worship.